Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Another big sell-off rocking Wall Street. Fears of an economic slowdown sending stocks spiraling to Dow, dropping 970 points for a loss of about 3.6%. Every S&P 500 sector finished the day deep in the red. And more incredibly, the move in bonds. The 10-year yield at one point hitting 0.899%. Remember, it was 3% just two years ago. The drop leaving many investors on edge at the bond market may be predicting a recession is coming. The Dow has now lost 2,400 points in just three weeks and is now just 1.2% away from wiping out all of last year's gains. Most other indexes, they already have. Your team of fast money traders tonight, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, Karen Feynman, and Guy Adami. I'm Brian Sullivan. All right, Guy, I don't like to use this word, but... Is part of this market, investors, panicking? No, I don't think, no. I mean, again, panic is the wrong word. We are within 7 or 8% of an all-time high. If people sold stocks, given the run we've had those 10 years, is that panic? The speed with which things are moving is clearly scary. I don't suggest that it's panic. I don't think you've seen panic yet. And, and quite frankly, our job isn't to stoke the flames of those panics. It's also not our job to assuage your concerns. We're trying to tell you what we think is going on. And with the VIX at 39 and a half, given this backdrop, given the fact that people are not traveling, they're not going to games, schools are closing. That is a fact now. We talked about it last night. That's going to have a huge effect on the economy and a subsequent effect on the market. I've said for a while, I'll say again, I think Steve agrees, 28.50 or thereabouts in the S&P is a big level. That's about 7% from where we are, and that to me still makes a lot of sense. We will get to the numbers, the technicals, because there's really stuff going on in a second. But I want to go back to that idea, Karen, and I wasn't suggesting in any way to stoke it. No, I didn't use it to soak it. In fact, just the opposite. What I'm thinking, Karen, is you don't want to buy generally until things flush out. Do you feel like we are or are getting close to being flushed out? I don't know. But since I am a long-term investor, I do feel like, all right, I have to be dipping my toe in the water here. I have to be starting to buy stuff. It's down a lot. Um, you know, this is the part where you're, you're so scared to own anything and your gut is to just sell everything. So what I did do today was sell some puts, right? That's my protection. That's my insurance. And yet I feel like, wow, with the VIX up here, it was 41.2 late in the day, um, that that does feel panicky to me. I mean, just think about this. We are almost exactly where we were two days ago at this time. And yet, if we had seen flat yesterday, flat today, and ended up here, that would have a very different feel to it than what's happened in the last 48 hours. That's, that's a difficult market to trade in, but I feel like the risks are just as much to the downside as they are to the upside. Still. Some kind of coordinated Still. surprise. Yeah, I feel actually, as we go lower and lower, I think the risk of an upside shock is actually... I, I think the problem, though, is, is to your point, is it panicky? Do you feel panicky? I think people are getting panicked over this virus. I think that, that it's 
it's I'm not a scientist, but I, it does feel overdone on the panicky side of the worries about the virus. As far as the marketplace, we were down 15 percent to that twenty eight fifty five level, smacked it on a dime. That was the low from October. So that's the low you have to look at. If we break that, then all hell could break loose in the overall market. Then you're going to see panic. The problem is you haven't seen a great flush day. Because to Karen's point, you're down a well, thousand. That's what I add. You, this is this was not a flush day. Well, I know we rose yesterday. That's I get the it. problem. So you get a flush day where you're down a thousand points, and then you rally a thousand points. So that's but, confusing investors because no one understands what changed in a 24-hour period. And this is the way markets do act while you're trying to research a bottom. I don't think we're there yet. But I do think people are getting over panicky about stuff okay, that they shouldn't be. Some of these giant swings are, and we've been talking about this for months. The Wall Street Journal actually had an article about it today, lack of liquidity. There's, so some of these swings, even on the upside, are weird things like people raising collateral. You've got ETF mismatches, that kind of stuff. These are all leveraged accounts that the average person has no ability to come in contact with. I rarely come in contact with them. But what happens is they wind up exacerbating the move. So they get triggered buy stops on the upside on an intraday high. They get triggered sell stops on a low, on an intraday low. And that's what confuses most. Yeah, but I wouldn't characterize what's gone on over the last two weeks. And I don't think you're doing this. But I would not want to characterize what's gone on over the last two weeks as simply just levered products creating volatility in the market. There is an actual economic impact going on here. And that's not to minimize the health impact. But because people are uncertain, because people are canceling schools and not flying, that is a real economic deflationary shock. Now, we don't know how long that's going to take. And part of the reason why, in my view, the market is so jittery is because of the uncertainty. How do I price that? What price do I put on a three-week stop of travel? What price do I put on a six-week stop of travel? Nobody knows. Well, and I think that's where we've maybe been wrong. And I think that I was watching coverage today in, in the show, and you notice I didn't say coronavirus fears. I said recessionary fears because I think that's what it is. We're getting a lot of comments from people on Twitter. They're saying, oh, the virus is small and it's survivable. And those things right now are very true, thankfully. The markets are not down because of coronavirus. The markets are down because of the economy. Right. And the economy is being looked at shakily because of the virus. I just wanted to say that because I think people... They misinterpret it. Thirty-three billion Chinese tourists brought in in terms of dollars, 2018. Chinese tourism's down by what, 95 percent? Just do the numbers. That's what we're talking about. Right, and we're not, none of us are trying to discount the health portion. Our job is to talk about the financial Correct. impact and the subsequent impact on markets. And to BK's point, I'm not making it up when I say I was supposed to be at a conference in Chicago at the end of the month of March. That conference has been canceled. That means I won't get on that plane. That's not just me. That's a lot of people. Now, sporting events, museums, cinemas, you, just, you can just do, start doing the math in your head. Fewer and fewer people are going to start to go out. Whether that's justified or not, I can't say, but it is absolutely real. So the market should. Now, by the way, and we've talked about this, in my opinion, the market was on extraordinarily shaky ground before we ever heard of the coronavirus. And I think to your point, this was just a trigger to get us to where we are now. But if you, if you really think about it, though, when you start to look, I, nobody can quantify how many quarters it's going to take to get back to it. But, I, but I, the, the pushback I have is that every time you see a coronavirus headline, 
the market does shake out. So it's sort of a chicken or the egg, uh, egg type thing for me. And when you start to look at what the uh, economic impact is going to be mm. on the travel industry, on the airlines, well, on the hotels, that. there's going to be a lot. We don't know what type of so, relief there's going to be. This is the where there, there, there may be some opportunity. Let's, let's, let's go there. Okay, let's talk about American Airlines. And I'm, I'm not picking on American, but they're the hardest hit of all the airlines. American Airlines stock is down, I think, 40% crazy in one month, in one month. So, but we'll get people that'll tweet, I was on an American flight yesterday and it was packed. True, because the market is saying in a month it won't be, or that flight won't exist because they're going to cut capacity. Well, so one, cut of two, one of two things is going to be spectacularly wrong. Do you believe the economy in a month, Karen, will be down 20 30%? Because that's what the market is predicting. 20 or 30. No, I don't. But I think, though, that the airlines, we talked about this a couple of days ago, have a unique business model that is particularly not good in this kind of environment where you have heavy fixed costs, right? You own the planes. You have the labor. Those are, those are big costs, right? That infrastructure. Oil is down. I understand jet fuel is cheaper. But when you have a contraction and a model like that, that's worse than, uh, you know, People not going to a retailer. That's worse. Yeah. Look so, at American well, lost. American Airlines lost. Thir- and United, if you're on the radio, you can't see the graphic guy, lost 13 mm-hmm. percent today. Yeah, I understand. On top of 35 percent declines coming into today. Delta Airlines down seven and a half percent today. And, you know, we're coming into a period of time where we're going to know a lot more over the next couple of weeks. I think your point. I mean, don't discount the fact that now a lot of schools are going on spring break. This is typically a time of year over the next three weeks when people do travel as families. Let's see what happens there. My sus- my, I suspect yeah. families aren't going to travel like they have in the past. Let's just see. I'm not, again, I'm but not guy, trying to stoke your the time in the markets. This is a systemic selling that I have only seen a handful of times during, obviously, flash crash when we saw it during the financial crisis. But this is a systemic selling that I've never witnessed and a systemic buying that I've never witnessed in my almost 30 years on Wall Street. This is why we've been talking about this idea. And one one, one more thing. I know you want to get in. One more thing. The irony of this whole thing is that everyone keeps thinking about the next leg down is going to be when we start seeing thousands of more cases that we didn't know about. The irony is when we see the thousands of more, that death rate is going to shrink. And I think that's where you're going to see the bottom in the market when we see... So many more cases because the the well, market is the, the market BK is already looking out to that like well, potential. I think what the market situation. to me this is classic deflationary spiral behavior. So give you an example. We're talking about the airlines. I'm supposed to fly in the middle of April. I haven't bought my ticket yet. Every day I check it, the price keeps going down. The price keeps going down. If everybody keeps doing that, that's the deflationary spiral. And that's what the market is trying to price in. So how does this end? The the upside, to Karen's point, the risk here is you have a president whose scorecard is the stock market. So eventually, there is going to be something coming from the White House. It has to be a health solution, not a financial solution. But we'll get that eventually. But again, nobody knows when. And until then, you continue this deflationary spiral. Well, one thing we have learned about the American consumer is that she and he are exceptionally resilient. And that when things pass, and they will, they go back. Cruise lines, they're down 50%. I understand they're sort of the not thing that you want to be thinking about right now, okay? But I remember there have been other situations, and you look at it, and in three years, are people going to remember this? 
they're going to still book cruises, are they not? And then RCL and CCL might look doggone cheap. That's not a crazy thought at all. Thanks. Right. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> no, what day. happens in the interim? I, I, I mean, yeah, I love to look at value. I'm not looking at the cruise lines yet. Maybe I should. Not yet? Not yet. But to, to, what's Brian, it going to take? Down, RCL is down 50% year to date. So I hear you and I hear Karen. And Karen, what Karen mentioned about the airlines, before we even got into coronavirus headlines, the cruise line had a, a bunch of headwinds thrown at it as well. So that one could take longer than the other trade, but I do agree with you and Karen. At some point, it is a buy. It's down 50%. But not yet. I'm trying it's to getting, find some it's op- getting not optimism, but it's down 50% off. At some point, you're going to buy the, unless they go out of business, you're going to buy the equity. That's Correct. it, right? At some Correct. point. All right. Maybe that's not here. Karen says no. I don't know. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> that's not crazy. That's, that's a compliment from Karen. All right. The breakdown in yields raising new concerns in the credit market, as if we didn't have enough to worry about. Let's bring in Steve Leishman to talk more about this, where... Health crisis, sort of market semi-crisis now bleeding into credit problems. Yeah, I mean, it's just a natural extension of what's going on, if you think about it, uh, Brian. Uh, uh, Fears of recession, fears of a decline in revenue, fears of decline in sales and profits raises questions in this this world of, of highly leveraged companies with a lot of debt out there. Now, look, going into this every... Uh, appearances that they were in pretty good shape. There was a lot of debt out there, but the economy was doing pretty well. Uh, the uh, uh, coverage ratios were pretty good. Some of the de- some of the debts or covenants that were written were kind of on the you know iffy or light side. But we talked to all three major uh, credit rating agencies, and they all, for lack of a better term, have the hair standing up on the back of their neck. Um, there will be more. Uh, S&P told me that the pace of downgrades will quicken. Fitch has yet to downgrade anyone because of the uh, coronavirus. Only 27 companies at S&P, say, of a universe of 4,000 corporates, have been downgraded because of corona. Uh, who is it? Well, it's Samsonite and Sabre, uh, travel and tourism-related companies, some of the weaker airlines. Mm. When you get into the sovereign space, you want to look at countries, for example, that get the predominant of their revenue to service their debt from tourism. Uh, You want to look at commodity companies and commodity countries. Those are the ones you know what's going on in the debt of the oil patch better than And there was some action today. By the way, there were some midstreamers that were able to sell some debt or at least get raised some debt today. But I want to bring up one instrument, too, because you're always trying to look for like a litmus test on certain things. The BKLN looks like Brooklyn, but it stands for bank loan. It's a bank loan, Invesco Senior Bank Loan ETF. Stephen, I think if, if our audience wants to look at one thing going forward for some yeah, sort of a, a litmus test, that. look at that. That BKLN, right. it's just my opinion only, but I think that's the one you want to look at because it's full of you know, investment grade and mid-speculative grade. We haven't seen it trickle through yet. You're saying we're, we're, we may be at the beginning? Where Every, everybody's on watch right now. Look, this is not the financial crisis at this point, and there's not an expectation it becomes that. Uh, but uh, the idea that there will be downgrades and investors need to just sort of be careful. If a yield on a corporate bond looks too good to be true, it probably is. If a dividend yield on a stock looks too good to be true, there's a reason for that which can probably be found in the balance sheet of the corporation. 
Steve, you're talking to both central bankers, rating agencies. Prior to this, we had weakness in Europe. When I look at the European banks, the charts of the European banks, they look awful. They're on the cliff of death. Is anybody concerned that perhaps this tips Europe into a deeper recession and the European banks have an issue? Most certainly. And I will tell you also going into this, Fed officials were already before this complaining about the high levels of corporate debt in the U.S. Let me give the other side of this, which makes the uh, the short in this market, a bit of, of a wild card, which is yields, uh, spreads have, have risen for some of the high-grade yields of the speculative credit, but interest rates are also down. So that helps with the cash flow. The other thing is there could be bailouts. The IMF and the World Bank came forward and said, you know, we put out the welcome map for, company, for countries that are having trouble. So that's an important issue that you, something looks like it may go down. It's possible it could be helped by a bailout. Europe is another issue all, to, all unto itself. So the high yield market here, are there any big deals that are pending or I mean, I haven't really seen that much activity in the last I few days. Think I think you haven't like- seen anything because there's nothing to see. I have read enormous number of debt research reports recently. I think I saw something that said there have been either no deals or one deal in, in the last several weeks. I, I have to go back and check. I will, I will let you know. But there, there are deals out there, which raises another question, which is the question of liquidity. There will be some companies that have to roll over their debt, and they were structured in a way that, hey, the credit markets are open, no problem rolling. That could be a problem if they come to roll and they can't roll because liquidity is dried up. This is a problem, a potential problem in the, in the speculative grade credits, not in the investment grade. When I look at the walls, which are what comes due when, investment grade is a couple years down the road. They have been smart mostly over this period of time of low rates. They've done what we call termed out, which is they've extended the debt and refinanced it lower on the investment grade. Steve, it's, and, and it's easy to take pot shots at the Fed. I'm not here to do that, but I want to ask a question. Hopefully it's not too convoluted. Steve mentioned something, hasn't seen this in his career, where you have 1,000 points to the upside, 1,000 points to the downside over a matter of days. I would suggest it's a function of complacency built up over the last 10 years as manifested in the volatility index because, in my opinion, the Federal Reserve has been the backstop and people have gotten lazy in terms of the risk, thinking the Fed has our back. Now you have a VIX that went from 14 to 40, and people are paying the price. Does the Fed, do, do you think they acknowledge that maybe they've added to the complacency of what's been an extraordinarily complacent market? I think there's concern about that. Eric Rosengren, the Boston Fed president, has spoken about this. He was opposed to some of the rate cuts we recently went through because of that reason. He was one of the guys, by the way, before the market got spooked, who flagged WeWork as a problem, as an issue out there. He was concerned about that. There are those who are concerned. I will tell you their operational standpoint in the face of this is what's called can I get a little music? Macro prudential, just to make it more palatable. The idea of go, doing it from a supervisory standpoint, get on the banks for hold, not hold, for holding too much speculative stuff on their books so that you don't have to adjust monetary policy to keep the economy from going into a bubble that could burst. That's been their idea since the financial crisis. Will it work? Well, we haven't been through this yet. We perhaps and unfortunately might find out on the backside. Steve, second time at the NASDAQ today. I believe you're on this morning with so much fun here. 
And, and going over the George Washington Bridge is maybe one of my favorite things to do. A couple times a day. That's not deflation. Does sarcasm translate? 15 bucks, you know, coming in or whatever. Does sarcasm work on TV? I don't know. Because I, I just want to Thank you very sure. much. Good Pleasure. stuff. Appreciate that. Uh, look at the HYG high yield ETF BK, the BKLN, what we just talked about, yeah. the JNK, anything else you're watching? So the BKLN is really an interesting one here because Steve just talked about the fact that the Fed is concerned about the banks. My view is I don't think we're going to have a problem with U.S. banks. All the fire trucks are right outside the, fire, the banks with their hoses ready to go in cases of fire. That's not where the risk is. The risk is in these leveraged loans. The risk is on investment managers' balance sheets. The risk are uh, in foreign investors that have invested in these things searching for yield. So I wouldn't worry about U.S. banks whatsoever. I would be worried about all the other stuff, these leverage loans and those type of things, and even in the oil patch, those type of things. That's where you're going to see yeah. if this health crisis turns into and morphs into some, something else. Again, I don't know if it's happening. I'm not saying it is, but that's what investors have to watch and, and, and to by, see if it starts This is going to sound grotesque, but there are some financial predators out there that have outcomes that they would like to see occur. Sure, there are. You know what I mean? And, and if you're looking to... Black Swan, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, not to say people are out there saying, but like, think about it nowadays, all the instruments, right? It used to be if you want to short a stock, you shorted the stock. Now, you don't like a stock, a dummy corp, you short it, you short the ETFs that you're in, and then you buy the triple short of dummy. There's all these instruments you can use to just... Right, and like prob- that's Mike Tyson's problem. Shot. Remember that Steve body blow, body blow, knock him out. The problem is what Steve just said, where he left off, saying they're they're thinking about there could be a bailout, which turns that whole scenario on its head. Yes, and, and then we keeps, go boom. Exactly, keeps people a little held at bay when you start to see these are transitory, hopefully yeah. transitory issues that you might see a bogey taken on a lot of Hold on, we got it. We got to go. I'm getting yelled. Could we have a two thousand point up day on absolutely. the Dow? Absolutely, absolutely. Markets in turmoil. Markets in a different way. In a different way, on the upside. Coming up, check out shares of Costco. Obviously on the move after their latest earnings. They have probably been the the main retailer, sort of at the center of this, as people rush to literally just buy 100 rolls of toilet paper for some reason. We're going to talk more about Costco and dive into the numbers there. And another rough day. We talked about it for oil and energy. Is there any opportunity here? Maybe we'll hit that as well. And be sure to always check out our app. Download it today. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money tonight. Another wild day on Wall Street, escalating economic fears, dragging down the Dow more than 900 points. At one point, we were down quadruple digits, again, more than 1,000 points. We did not finish on our low. If you want to find any kind of silver lining, we did finish down 969 on the Dow. Now, we've got an earnings alert right now, and one name 
that has been probably more closely tied to the action on the retail side than any other, and that is Costco. Courtney Reagan back at HQ with more on their numbers. Courtney. Hey, Brian. So Costco beating on profit and revenue for the latest quarter. Comparable sales coming in up nearly 9%. That's including gasoline, which was also above analyst estimates. But I want to point out that's for the whole quarter ending February 16th. Now, Costco also gave some comparable sales for the full month of February, and they did note an uptick in the fourth week to the last week of February associated with the coronavirus and consumer purchasing. So Costco estimates that that added, that surge in purchasing added three percentage points to make it 12.1% for the monthly comp growth for the full company for the full month of February. Now, CFO Richard Galanti just now, moments ago, giving more detail on the earnings call. Take a listen. We're getting deliveries daily, uh, but still not enough given the increased levels of demand on certain key items. It's been a little crazy this past week in terms of outside shopping frequency and sales levels, uh, and not only in the United States. He also went on to talk about how they are going to have to do some limits, but it's kind of going to vary by store and by region and giving a shout out to his team members for working through all that because it's a very evolving scenario. Now, Costco also said that their membership fees came in higher than what some estimates were for the quarter. E-commerce sales grew more than 28 percent. And the timing of the week later Thanksgiving, that actually helped bump up e-commerce sales for the quarter by 11 percent. And that's with the outages that we reported around Thanksgiving and Black Friday, if you remember any of that. So ultimately, the Thanksgiving timing still ended up helping prop up the total company's comp sales again for the quarter by half a percent. And they are seeing strong sales here in this next quarter because of everything that's going on with the coronavirus. Brian, back over to you. All right, Courtney, Courtney, thank you very much. Uh, Karen, obviously, Costco's going to see sales boom in some ways, but is it just stealing forward to Courtney's point? your take on Costco? Yeah, I mean, Costco is fantastic. They do well in any market, up, down, flat. I mean, they're just extraordinary. Their execution is always spot on. But for other names, like a, I wouldn't be buying a 3M because they make masks, or I wouldn't be buying a Clorox because I think just like we might look through, you know, let's say the, uh, you know, Microsoft cloud growth is slowed down a quarter or two. We'll look through that. But I think we would also look through a, a Clorox or a 3M because I think ultimately, it's going to go back down, and it's expensive to gear up really quickly to fulfill demand that just skyrockets. I find it fascinating. First of all, Costco, we've been on this for a while. Valuation is going to matter at a certain point. I mean, this is now trading close to 34 times next year's numbers. I mean, the numbers are fantastic. I get all those things. Margins were slightly disappointing, not a, not a big deal. With that said, I find it fascinating that people are stocking up on toilet paper. Either it's they're beyond meat eaters or, they're, or they know something that I don't know. Either case is not particularly good. I think you are pulling forward. So, listen, 325, the all-time high. You've enjoyed the run-up in this stock. There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking profits in Costco. Just, just to put a bow on it, if you look at that membership fee, that is like an annuity in the stock. And this stock rebounded really quickly off that 200-day moving average. I still think you're okay to actually buy Costco. And let's be clear, there's a whole group of stocks people are buying just as like a career coronavirus portfolio, small biotech. So just be careful. All right. We've got a lot more fast money coming up on this big day for the markets. Here's what's ahead after the break. It's one of the biggest sectors in the market. And what's happening in tech could be sending a broader signal for where stocks are going. How concerned should you be? And later, an options bet that's paying up big for one of our traders, where he sees stock of Zoom video going now. We've got that and a whole lot more when Fast Money returns. 
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. Stocks once again sounding the alarm today about economic concerns. The Dow down at one point, more than 1,000 points, finished the day down 969. The Nasdaq was the relative outperformer, falling, quote, only 3.1%. The Dow is actually up 1% for a 12-month period, but another day like today, we're going to wipe out all of last year's gains as well. Now, this extreme volatility probably has you wondering, where are we headed next? How is this possible? Basically, what's going on? Mark Newton of Newton Advisors at the Plasma with the hope, I guess, to figure out what is going on and where we go. Mark. Thanks, Brian. Hey, we're all trying to understand this new era of volatility. We're going up 1,000, down 1,000 every day. So where do we stand and what's the damage that's been done? You take a look at S&P initially, a couple things come to mind. First, you see that Initially, when we rallied into these February highs, momentum was actually a lot lower on this move to new highs. So a lot of the broader-based, equal-weighted indices did not make new highs. We knew that sentiment was exuberant. We saw the shift to defensive trading. Uh, we saw the overconcentration of a lot of stocks as opposed to the S&P. And then all of a sudden, Treasury yields broke, and S&P broke right with it. Well, we went down to 28.55, which is about 50% of the entire move up since 2018. We've tried to stabilize. It's been a very tentative rally thus far. S&P was down almost 100, but yet we didn't even get down under yesterday's lows. So put that into perspective. The bottom line is that my thinking is we probably get to 31.80 at a maximum, but any sort of rally from here into April likely is going to be something to sell into given momentum starting to really roll over. So if you look at longer-term charts, you can sort of put this into perspective. Here's a rally since 09. We really haven't done hardly any damage just yet in the longer-term trend. But you see this, this line, which has really held four or five times since 2009. And so this area is right down near 2,500. That's a long way away. Initially, what investors want to look at is, do we get down under the lows that were just made last week, 2,855? If so, then, yes, there is fear right now that we, are, we do have oversold conditions on a short-term basis, but we can't rule out a move down there over the next couple months, particularly if coronavirus starts to accelerate in, in our country and others. And so, you know, let's take a look at, at one group that I think is very important, and, of course, that's technology. Tech actually peaked out in January. Markets moved to new highs, but tech on an equal-weighted basis did not. This is the S&P equal-weighted technology index versus 
the S&P itself. So it shows you how tech as a broad-based, equal-weighted group is doing, not just the FANG stocks, not just the Microsoft and the Googles, but all of them. This started to break down as of last week. So that is a short-term negative. Tech's at 22%. Yields have been pulling back. Obviously, that's affected financials. The broader trend, though, for now is still intact for tech. If we see this start to give way, I'd have a lot bigger concern about tech and the entire market starting to really roll over. For now, this is intact, but we do see that short-term weakness. With that in mind, let's take a look at a stock that I actually like here. Uh, I think with all this corona, a lot of us are going to be doing a lot more Netflix and chilling in the months to come. And this is a stock I particularly like. Netflix has held up remarkably well. Stock got broke out of this longer-term triangle pattern. It started to stall out a little bit, but it still acts very, very well. So outside of buying Apple and Facebook, I don't care about those as much. But this is a stock that I think makes good sense from how consumers can be positioned. And technically, it makes a lot of sense for me as well. All right, Mark Newton. Mark, why don't you come back and join us over here at the desk? All right, thank you. Now, Steve, Mark just flagged some pretty important levels in the S&P 500. Do you agree? Are you watching those levels? So I, I am, and I agree, because I flagged that 28.55 level uh, last Thursday, and, and that was the level that stuck out to me because it was the October 3rd low. So if you look at that October 3rd low through that prism, that's the level we had to hold. And, and to Mark, when, if we break that level, the 28.55 level, I don't know necessarily. So the way I look at it through through your lens, right. it's 28.55, 31.80 to the upside, playing right. around in there for a trading level. How much of a chance do you see us breaking the 28.55 and heading ultimately, because this is where panic sets in, right. to the 23.50 level? That's panic. This is trading. This is volatility. What are the odds of us breaking that 28.55 low? I think they're at least 50 percent, only because we haven't really seen the stability in Treasury yields, and that's been a major driver of financials to the downside. Groups like transportation are starting to roll over as well. And so, you know, we've seen a decent bounce off the lows, but yet volume was lacking. Yesterday's update had the lowest volume on the spies since, since the prior Monday. And so it hasn't been a great breadth move, as we saw on that chart over there. Technology has been breaking down of late. So that's a concern. If you don't have financials and technology, that's 40% of the market. So you really need to see some evidence of those groups starting to stabilize. Um, you know, I, I think before you can see any, any real rally, we need to see stabilization. There's no need to be the hero and try to pick the bottom. That's the bottom line. I mean, momentum has really started to roll over of late on a weekly basis, and that's definitely something I'm, I'm watching. Yeah, the weightings really have changed. They've changed how the market trades, and we're learning that. We learned it the good way for a number of years. Now we're kind of learning it the hard way. Mark, thank you very much. All right, coming up, speaking of sectors that don't really matter that much, energy stocks getting hit hard at today's sell-off. We're going to break down what might be next for that group, which is only 4.5% of the entire market. It used to be 15% later on. There is something interesting happening, though, in China stocks that has got one of his our traders scratching his head and wondering, is there opportunity overseas? Because maybe they're ahead of it. We're going to talk about that when Fast Money Returns. All right, and along with stocks, oil also fell as well, losing another 1.5% today. It is now down 25% this year, hovering around its lows from more than one year ago. And oil stocks, of course, they've not only followed, they've led. They've done far worse because the debt load, those stocks still getting walloped on 
economic slowdown fears. You got too much supply. You got too much demand. I mean, Guy Adami, we could be looking at a situation where there's three million barrels a day of excess supply. Three million barrels a day. That's what, 240 million barrels over a matter of a couple of different weeks. The last time we saw that kind of supply, oil was at $25 a barrel. Would you buy any of the oil stocks? We've said if you want to play some of these levered names for trades, they're interesting. Oxy, and obviously that was a terrible call yesterday. It's down 4% today. But I will tell you, for the last year and a half, we've been saying stay away from these big cap integrated names. And now, on top of everything, with this whole ESG thing, now they're, that you talk about an exogenous risk, that's the one. Exxon is trading at levels we haven't seen in about yep. 13 years. You probably know the exact date. It's NG. It's not good. So you say it's valuation. Well, that's been the reason to own it incorrectly, literally, for the last $25. Would BK buy BP? No. BK sold short oil today. Uh, on the headlines that so they came, OPEC came out, said they want to cut a, uh, one, one and a half million barrels a day. It's a lot, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a deal yet. I know, but oil rallied and then failed. So you get... What would be good news, bad price action, that's a market that BK wants to There's short. There's nothing that seems to be able to rally the commodity. We've seen the cuts. The cuts are useless. When you look at Saudi Aramco, I, I, I had a belief that you're looking at the top of the energy market there. Because even though it's a small sale, why do they want to give up the goods if they believe that there's greener pastures ahead? I think Guy touches on something that we've been talking about. This ESG investing has taken the legs out of the chemical trade, out of the whole entire fossil fuel trade, and there's something going on. And if oil can't rally and oil breaks the $42 level, which has been support going back to 2016, you're looking at a world of hurt for a lot of these companies. And to wrap it all up, there's going to be a lot of debt levels that these guys are carrying that they're going to be but unable not everybody's to continue got the to debt. lift. Not everybody's got Doesn't the matter. debt. doesn't matter. They, what they've got I, is I can tell every company's net debt to EBITDA level almost from up here. And a lot of these names, and I sent out a screenshot, are down 75% this year. Those are the high cost, high debt Bakken you know what you should be able the to Whitings, buy? the Oasis. And they're still down. And still Northern down. oil and gas. And they're still down. All these companies could be great companies I'm talking about Exxon. Paper. 7% dividend yield. Not yeah, and going down away. 28%. How many days do you get to, to lose that? You could lose I'm it in a day. No, no, no. Pointing it, I, out. I'm pointing not, it out. I'm not debating. I'm Sicilian. So everything sounds like a debate for me. But you can't buy these things for a dividend. They're down 28%. The one stock, the one area, should be the refiners, where you actually see input costs coming down. Those, that should be a tailwind. Valero, down 34%. What about the midstreamers, the pipeline companies? I know this. There, there are some midstreamers, like I said earlier, that, that are able to raise debt. If there's one big one going on right now, I can't say who it is, but I, there's, there's, there is a market for some of the midstreamers. We're still moving a lot of liquids. You're being traded as a blanket over all of these names. That's my point. I wonder, zero, does that provide zero. the opportunity when literally everyone maybe, just dumping everything? Do you think ESG investing is going away or getting bigger? My answer is it's getting bigger. And I sure. think these, these names, unfortunately, there's a lot of great companies within this sector. And I think they're being thrown out with ESG. Who's, who's a great company? I like the refiners. I like, like EOG. Valeros, I, I like EOG. some of these EMP companies. I think there's a host of EMP companies that are takeout candidates. But who's going to take them out? The bigger ones, maybe at some point when they start building windmills. All right, coming up. Are you, I'm not kidding. Are you looking for a green shoot in the sea of red? Well, this stock 
has done well, almost doubling this year. There are some things that are up this year. We'll talk more about the name and the trade ahead. And, of course, do not miss our special coverage tonight. Markets in turmoil. Another 1,000-point drop for the Dow, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And watch it on the app as well. Check it out. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Another brutal sell-off hitting your stock investments as coronavirus fears grow into economic fears. But there's one name that has been bucking the trend in a big way. Of course, video conferencing stock Zoom surging higher. More companies cut non-essential travel and demand for alternative to -to face-to-face meetings skyrockets. Zoom is up 85% this year. And if you tuned into Options Action a couple weeks back, you saw Options Play Chief Strategist Tony Zhang call the breakout. Well, now he is back to explain how you can use options to get in on the stocks, perhaps next leg higher. Tony. Thanks, Brian. So I want to do a look back on the Zoom trade that we laid out on Options Action a few weeks ago. This was a bullish uh, earnings play. That because of the high implied volatility, we were using a, a call diagonal here to play a bullish view going into earnings. I was buying the March 105 calls for about $8 and selling the February 20, uh, February 28th, weekly options, 107 calls for about $2.15. Here we spent about $5.85, risking roughly 6% of the underlying stock price to take a bullish view into the earnings. Now, the goal here was to allow this February 28th, weekly options to expire worthless, and that's exactly what we saw. On February 28th, Zoom was just below that 107 uh, level, and we were able to let that, those call expire worthless. And we sent out a tweet the following Monday to turn this long 105 call into a vertical by selling the March 130 calls against it. We collected roughly $4.50 on that call option, which brought our net trade on this particular trade down to just $1.35. So our whole risk on this particular trade was only 1% of the underlying stock price. Now, Zoom reported earnings yesterday and blew it out of the water. 15 cents on earnings versus the 7 cent that was expected. 188 million in revenue versus 176. So as of today, what we saw was that if you did not catch the tweet to turn this into a vertical, your March 105 calls, you would have been able to sell those for roughly about $17, which turned out to be about a 293% gain on your investment, which is pretty good on a 25% move on the underlying stock. But if you were able to make that adjustment, you're looking at almost an 1,100% gain on this particular trade because of because of the fact that we reduced the cost of that trade down to just $1.35. And I think this is a prime example of how to utilize options to play a bullish view going into earnings while risking a very small amount of capital doing so. All right, Tony Zhang of Options Play. Tony, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Well, for more Options Action, of course, tune in the full show tomorrow night, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, much more on the big sell-off. The Asian markets are about to open How should you set up for tomorrow? We're going to find out. We'll get those Asian trades coming up in a few minutes. We've also got our Kramer Cam on Mad Money tonight. Jim's take on where to put your money as well, of course, coming up at the top of the hour. We are live at the NASDAQ, and we are back right after this. All right, the markets are about to open up for the day in Asia. Let's find out. They're set up. Cherry Kang joining us now with more from Hong Kong. Cherry. 
Hi there, Brian. Of course, uh, Asia kicking things off in a defensive mode. New Zealand, the first one out of the gate, down 1.7% as we speak. Australia futures looking very damaged as well, down more than 2% on the SPY futures as well. And of course, when it comes to this particular market, gold stocks could potentially come to the rescue because investors went for the something safer gold, and that can translate into some resilience in gold stocks as well. But of course, we are eyeing the Japanese yen very much carefully, trading at 106.16. So that means dollar sinking and investors are going for that safer currency. And dollar is down more than 2% against the Japanese yen so far this year. In the meantime, though, as we are waiting for uh, the Chinese uh, market to come online in about Two and a half hours to go from now here. You know, Chinese stocks actually made up for all the coronavirus related stocks or losses, I should say, you know, so far this year, earlier this week. So that can actually set a different tone for Asia. Brian? Oh, Sherry Kang in Hong Kong. Give us a look there at the open. Uh, Sherry, thank you very much. All right. So what's your take on the Asian markets here, Karen? Well, the thing that I find so interesting, if you look at the Asian markets, I mean, they've had a obviously a sharp fall, and then a huge rally. And if you overlay where the, corona, the coronavirus cases, the growth, once the growth slowed down and it became a little more linear and then it actually slowed even more, so you had fewer and fewer cases every day, the market sort of, their market looked through that and really rallied really hard. I don't know if that, you know, if that means we will as well, because obviously they're throwing everything they can there. But like we said earlier, this is a president who has really, you know, pegged his entire entire sort of success on how the market's doing, how the economy's doing. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see us throw more than that 50 basis points at this problem. Yeah, and you look at how the A shares have traded. That's the China A shares, and the ETF for that is um, ASHR. They have actually, they had one big gap down and then have rocketed skyward. They look like they want to break out. If you think about what's going on in there, whether you believe it or not, the factories are ramping back up. People are going back to work. So investors are trying to get ahead of that. And I think if there's any place in the world besides gold that you want to be involved in, I think you look at the A shares in this environment. Amazing, isn't it, that they're, yeah. they're the epicenter and their stock market just continues to go higher. Baba is remarkable quickly. I mean, this stock name you like weeks I like, ago. It's, yeah. a, it's traded remarkably well. So I think Karen's on to something there, Brian. Not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, up next, your final trades. All right, it's a big one coming up tomorrow morning. Do not miss National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow. First on Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning. Obviously, he's going to talk about the economy. By the way, we got a jobs report at 8.30 o'clock. 8.30 o'clock. It's been a long week. 8.30 tomorrow morning, and nobody seems to care. We're going to talk about, Larry, about all that's going on and what stimulus measures they might be thinking about. All right, time now for your final trade. Let's go around the horn, Steve. Kick it off. Snapchat, my final trade. It was my final trade last night in a sea of red. There was one stock on my screen that was green. It rhymes with AppChat. Can you guess it? Snapchat. Snapchat. Bye. Okay. Yeah. So I think in this environment, the case for gold and Bitcoin couldn't be better. You look at potentially uh, currency devaluations, competitive devaluations. You want to own gold okay. and you want to own Bitcoin. Yes. The scariest thing you can do is sell puts when you own them. I started selling today. I'll sell tomorrow. You didn't like them at 14 with the VIX. You can't be a buyer right. at 42. The Goldman Sachs upgraded FireEye. They clearly watched the fast money. $18 price target FireEye higher today. F-E-Y-E. 
Brian. All right, well, maybe the only thing, that app chat or whatever, higher today. Guys, great show as usual. We'll see you tomorrow night. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.